All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote, it's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they've also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale, four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S forward slash Just News. America and happy Friday. We've got a great show for you after an exhausting week. This really was an exhausting week. Huh? So much drama, so much important things happening in the world, at the border, at Mar-a-Lago, in the court system. But we're going to wrap up with a really strong show today with two really amazing guests. One of them who very seldom does interviews. We're very lucky to have him on the show today. We're going to kick off the show with my good friend, the head of the Convention of the States movement, Mark Meckler. He's got some new polling on the state of the FBI, uh, the confidence in the country, and he is continuing to roll up states that are moving closer and closer to ratifying a request to hold a convention of the states and rein in this big government that is around us. It's a very exciting moment in history. Mark started this movement, I think, about a decade ago, and it has gained steam. It's up to 5.3 million Americans that participate at the grassroots level in this thing. 19 states are in, 21 more are in the conversation. You need to get to 34 in order to have a convention of the states. Mark Meckler is on the way there, and a lot of people think he's going to hit that number in the next two years. By 2023, that would be a remarkable thing to have forced a convention of the states. So keep an eye on it. An amazing thing and an amazing time in history. So we're going to start with Mark Meckler. And then after the break, it is exactly a year ago this week that the images of our failed withdrawal from Afghanistan, the Afghan refugees hanging onto a plane and dropping to their death below, the images of our 13 brave Marines who were killed at the gate through a terrorist bombing, the loss of the Bagram Air Base to the Taliban, the Taliban overrunning the 20-year propped-up Afghan government. Well, those all happened exactly a year ago this week. And for our second guest, we're going to bring in former Acting Defense Secretary Christopher Miller. Chris Miller is a former colonel, former Special Forces officer. He was in the early wave of American soldiers who invaded Afghanistan after the 9-11 attacks. And then he switched and did another early infantry wave in the early group that went into Iraq to oust Saddam Hussein. All of that is on his resume before he moved into the civilian life. And he has his own personal stake in Afghanistan because he was there. As defense secretary, he handed the Biden administration a real plan for exiting that would not have led to the collapse that we saw. 
And uh, he's here to talk about, he has some very big concerns that there's some politics going on in the after-action reports. After-action reports are important. It's what the military does to learn from its mistakes and to save the lives of future troops, men and women who serve in future wars, so they don't repeat the mistakes of what we learned in the past. And uh, he believes those after-action reports have been grabbed by Lloyd Austin, sent back with some creative political editing going on. He's going to explain why that's a bad idea, why it's a problem, why he's concerned. I want to point out something that a lot of people didn't pay attention to. It's a piece of testimony that occurred in the spring that I think is essential for every American to know, especially with the spin job that we're now getting in government today, the White House saying, oh, this was a successful Afghan withdrawal. Uh, No, not when the Taliban are in charge, not when Al-Qaeda and ISIS and other extremists are now roaming the country free again. But I want to read you what the top military commander for CENTCOM told the United States Senate in the March. A lot of people didn't cover it except for just the news. I think it's one of the most important pieces of testimony given the last year. So let's go to it. This testimony occurred in the Senate last March. A lot of people didn't pick up its significance. It's from General Kenneth McKenzie, who was the CENTCOM commander, one of the most important military advisors to the President of the United States. And he said to the Senate, Remember, this is months after Joe Biden said, we had a good exit. It was great. It worked out fine. I listened to my military commanders. Here is what he said. It was a mistake in the spring of 2021 to go below the level of 2,500 troops. If, in fact, we did so, we expected the government Afghanistan to collapse. That reflected my opinion, also the opinion of General Miller. That was the general on the ground in Afghanistan at the time, by the way, not to be confused by the Chris Miller we're going to be talking to in a second. But it was also the opinion of of General Miller, and we had an opportunity to freely express that opinion, and I am confident it was heard. And that is really all a military commander can ever hope to have the opportunity to do. Those decisions to stay or go, and what force level you're going to, you're going to put in Afghanistan, are not inherently military decisions. Those are decisions made at the highest level of the United States, meaning President Joe Biden. President Joe Biden. It was a mistake. What does that mean? It means that the president of the United States, Joe Biden, the defense secretary, Lloyd Austin, did not listen to their uniformed commanders on the ground and agreed to go below 2,500 troops. And remember what the Biden administration has told us for some time. Nobody thought the country would fall. What does Kenneth McKenzie say in this testimony that so few people have paid attention to? Quote, if we went below 2,500, we, quote, we expect it the government of Afghanistan to collapse. It was a mistake, and the government was going to collapse. Compare that to what the National Security Advisor, what Lloyd Austin, what President Joe Biden have been saying for the last year. Not true, according to the CENTCOM commander, the highest-ranking military official in charge of the Afghan war. This is a significant piece of testimony. When we think about the 13 brave lives lost, those that we honor this weekend— the weekend of their passing, their tragic passing in a bomb. We must remember what General Kenneth McKenzie, then the CENTCOM commander for the United States military, said. It was a mistake. We had the opportunity. We didn't follow it. We knew the government of Afghanistan would collapse if we pulled out our troops. I think that's the most important thing you're going to hear today. All right, let's take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back with Mark Meckler right after this. 
You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. The studied ingredients in Lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, add lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now, get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code JUSTNEWS15. That's the promo code JUSTNEWS15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean.com. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a healthcare provider. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS. They know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. There is so much energy at the grassroots end of America right now. When you're out in the field and you're talking to real people, they are energized, lots of issues energizing them. But one of the things that has focused that energy has been the movement in America uh, called the Convention of the States, getting a, a constitutional convention to reconsider the monstrosity of U.S. government that we've created over the last 246 years and, quite frankly, in the last 20 years more than ever. The man who has led that energetic movement, who has gotten so many states now to sign on to a constitutional convention, is joining us right now. You know him well. He is Mark Meckler. Mark, great to have you on the show. Hey, it's always great to be with you, John, and love to be with your listeners as well. Well, you're doing such great work, such important work. And one of the fun things I like about the Convention of the States movement now is you have your own poll with the Trafalgar Group, and it is measuring some of the most important issues and issues that the rest of the polling industry have been ignoring. And one of them struck me the other day. You had a pretty stark finding about how Americans of all political stripes view the raid on Mar-a-Lago, the view the raid on Donald Trump's office and home. What'd you find? Yeah, I mean, the most important thing we found, I think, was the overall finding, which is 73% of Americans believe that was a raid by Democrats on their political enemies. And they're seeing, I think, the government for what it is, the administrative state for what it is, which is it is part of the Democrat establishment, and it is intended to reign in their opposition, and that would include folks like you and me, conservatives. 
it's pretty amazing to see because that really the belief that this was an, an enemies list sort of thing really went across political stripes. It wasn't just Republicans thinking that way. Clearly, Republicans thought it more. There are a lot of nuances to what you're finding in the poll right now. You really have, I think, one of the most interesting snapshots of American thinking we've seen in a long time. And what's interesting about it is it comes 19, 20 months after Joe Biden said that he was going to make big government work better. He basically said, you're fearful. I got the solution. Big government, we're going to fix everything for you. You're going to be so happy. 20 months in, 80% of people think we're going in the wrong direction. But what are some of the things you're beginning to see as the undercurrents of the American public that are probably going to drive the next couple of elections decision-making? Yeah, I mean, part of it we polled about election enthusiasm post the Mar-a-Lago raid. And what we found is that the vast majority of Republicans are more enthused to vote. The vast majority of independents are more enthused to vote. And not so much for Democrats. There's almost a 30-point spread in in post-Mar-a-Lago voting enthusiasm between Democrats and Republicans, about 20 points between Democrats and independents. And to me, that, again, is just leaning towards the red wave. Here's the number that I found the most interesting, though, and the most nuanced. We're seeing this in all our polling. Among Hispanics, that number was the highest. It was over 80% of Hispanics. Wow, no kidding. Yeah. And look, I think the reason is I've been doing a lot of Hispanic media lately. I was just at CPAC. There was a lot of Hispanic media there. There is a connection among the Hispanic communities, and, and there's a diverse group of Hispanic communities in this country, but there's a connection familial connection and historic connection to a lot of places where they deal with what we would refer to as banana republics or tin pot dictators. And so they've seen this show before, and they've seen the raids of political enemies, the imprisonment of political enemies, and they came to the United States to avoid that kind of stuff. And so they're more worried than most groups, and they're more to the right of almost everybody in America right now. Their inspiration to come here was to flee that. And this was like the shining beacon they yearned for. Now they come here and they realize, uh-oh, it's starting to look like the place I fled. That dynamic is probably very potent. Do you think Democrats understand they have this vulnerability right now? I, I think they understand it. I would say sort of the consulting class probably understands it. The problem is the party has been captured by the far left, the radical progressive left. And there's not much they can do about it. When you look at it electorally, usually I can think of a way out for whoever the player is. You you and I have been in this long enough that you can kind of game it out. And when I try to game it out on the left, the problem is all of their enthusiasm in their base is on the radical left. And so they have to appeal to the radical left, but that's causing them to lose Hispanics and blacks as well. I mean, they're really in trouble among minorities right now. Yeah, and that's been such a key part of the constituency for a long time. It's really the solid block they've been able to count on for a very long time. Independents move back and forth, but the minority population has been pretty solidly Democrat. I think we saw when San Francisco first threw out their school board members in a recall, the liberal city in America, then they threw out the prosecutor. That was probably a warning sign that a big part of their base has said enough's enough. We're rebelling for the first time. I I saw another poll that was really interesting to me, and I think it goes to another issue that I think you've been so cogent on. Republicans had a big chance to fix things every time they were put in. They didn't fix it. Democrats come in. They don't fix it. The youngest generation, the majority of more young Gen Z and millennial voters identify as independent than combined identify as Republican and Democrats. This idea that people are starting to 
reject both parties as sort of the uniparty. They're both the same and more are declaring independent, particularly in younger people. There is a danger if Republicans get back in control and they do the rope and dope again and they don't get immigration done, they don't shrink government, right? This is one of those elections that if you don't deliver, you might be a minority party for a while. Do you, do you agree with that from what you see in the polling? Yeah, I do agree with that. I mean, people have high expectations and my expectations are pretty low of the Republican Party, because if you look at the current leadership, they have a long track record and their track record says they're not going to do anything. I'll give you a very specific example. What you've got is Republican leadership like Kevin McCarthy, who, you know, likely right now to be the next speaker of the House. And he's saying to the director of the FBI, clear your calendar and preserve your records because we're going to have hearings. My perspective on hearings, John, is you know, I've been actively engaged in politics for 12 years. I've seen a lot of hearings. I've seen zero results. And if we expect hearings to lead to something, I would say shame on us because they've been fooling us for decades and, and they never do anything. That's a really great point. We had the church hearings. We had the 9-11 hearings. Uh, we've had so many important, we had a lot of the Russiagate hearings, but the same mentality still seems to be significantly embedded in the administrative state of these law enforcement intelligence agencies. I was struck in the last 24 hours, and I was just talking to Joe Ken about this yesterday. You see what the former CIA director, the former NSA director, the man who gave us the NSA program, gave us some of the intelligence towards the middle and end of the uh, initial wave of the Iraq war. Michael Hayden saying that he considers the current Republican Party more dangerous than the extremists of I ISIS and Al-Qaeda. <laughs> when you hear a guy like that and you think, well, he was in charge of our whole intelligence operation. This is where he, his colors are coming out now. What do you, what, uh, do you think the Americans want to see that shrunk? Is it time? I mean, where do you stand on the IRS, the FBI, the CIA? What would you do to solve the problems that concern so many conservatives today? Yeah, I would take away the power from those agencies. I, for a, in a lot of those cases, I would disband those agencies. I would take that power and to the extent you can give it back to the states where it belonged, I would do that if we need federal and law enforcement agencies, which we do, to be fair, for some interstate crimes, interstate drug trafficking and sex trafficking and things like that then those agencies should be much more limited. On the FBI, very specifically right now, my position is simply end the FBI. We have endthefbi.com, literally tens of thousands of people right now writing to their congressmen, their state delegations, demanding pressure to end the FBI. And the reason is, John, look, the FBI has been corrupt since its inception. People who say, oh, the FBI contains a bunch of great people, I'm sure that there are some ethical individuals in the FBI. My question is, why aren't any of them resigning? Why are we not hearing public statements from hundreds of FBI agents saying, hey, the bureau's become politicized. We don't want to be part of this. We don't agree with that. I mean, we've literally seen precisely zero agents come forward and say that. Yeah, we might we may have the first couple now with Grassley and, and Jim Jordan, but it's a you know it's fourteen out of thirty or forty thousand agents and and John, even the, let me push back a little yeah, bit on please. that. Even our behind the scenes whistleblowers. Yeah, right. The, the question is, where are the men and women of conscience? And I'm not even just talking about agents. How about secretaries and janitors and HR people who just say, look, you know, the agency's become corrupt. It's not trusted by the American people. And I'm not comfortable working here anymore. Even people who don't know anything who aren't. We haven't seen any of that. That's right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. If you eliminate the FBI, there's obviously certain transnational crime and terrorism uh, responsibilities. 
Do you do something like what the Brits have, which is you've got, you know, Scotland Yards for crime, and then you've got your domestic and foreign intelligence agencies. Do you do something like that? How would you address some of the things like terrorism and some of the transnational and trans-state or cross-state crime stuff? I'm going to give you kind of a blunt and, and humorous answer. I mean it genuinely, which is that ain't my problem. And I'm, I'm a citizen. I'm a voter. I'm an activist. This is why we elect members of Congress to solve problems like this. I absolutely acknowledge that there are legitimate functions that need to be conducted by the DOJ and the FBI and various law enforcement departments. It's up to Congress to figure out how to parse those out in a way we can actually get rid of the corrupt agencies. Your point is, no matter what they do, get rid of the corruption and the deep state mentality that seems to pervade this. There was an amazing moment for someone like you that I know values small government. When the CDC director came out a couple of days ago, really, it's been a two-week process of slow reversal, but basically said, we got everything wrong, everything wrong. We're really sorry. We're going to reorganize the chairs on the top of the Titanic deck. (laughs) We paid this agency... Uh, along with NIH, billions of dollars for 20, 30 years. I remember George W. Bush in the beginning of his presidency talking about pandemic, pandemic, pandemic. Obama, pandemic, pandemic, pandemic. Tens of billions of dollars, and they didn't get anything right about what they were paid to get right. What happens to public health agencies? What should happen to public health agencies that blew the COVID pandemic so badly? I mean, I would say at the very least, everybody at the top five layers has to go. And again, we didn't have anybody inside those agencies, nobody who was blowing the whistle, who was screaming and yelling, saying this is all politicized. I would also say that there's probably billions of dollars of recompense owed to all the people who lost their jobs, who lost their businesses because of all the quote unquote mistakes by the CDC. And the bottom line is, They claimed, and they still claim, by the way, that they were following the science. They weren't. They were following the politics. And so I think this is what the federal government would have to do to make it right is to literally pay out hundreds of billions. Maybe it's trillions. I don't know. They seem to print the money like it's nothing. But to all the small businesses that lost their businesses, to all the people who lost their jobs and their careers, they got to do something to make that right. And they never will. Yeah, no, it's it's a bridge too far for them to take, to take the full accountability. And, and yet we know that these, these weren't just paper errors, right? These are errors that created lethal situations, set a generation of education students behind in ways that we may not fully appreciate for a decade or more. This had human well, I, consequences. I would, add, I would add one thing that's really fundamental to this. Like, you know, I was sitting with Senator Ron Johnson several months ago in Washington, D.C., and I asked him, you know, you're running, you're coming back. Why are you doing that? Because I know, you know, Ron's a business guy, and I think he finds D.C. frustrating. He's a successful CEO. And he said, because I know what the federal government did to kill hundreds of thousands of our citizens during this pandemic. I have to come back and expose that. And, and I look at what they're doing today. These shots are really bad for kids. And the evidence is coming out. There was a big study out of the U.K. that got released today. It's it's putting kids at risk. It's causing more kids to die from COVID. And the CDC is still recommending this stuff. I think even more shocking to me as I watch this play out, for the first time we have really concerned, and the Constitution of Bill of Rights, First Amendment is very clear, Congress shall not pass a law that will bridge the free expression that we all enjoy as an inalienable right here in America. You saw federal agencies working with news sites and social media sites to silence dissenting voices, even though it turned out the dissenting voices many times were factually right at the end. It's proven that they've been right. The idea that the government could feel so 
unencumbered to conspire with a private party to try to silence a journalist, a doctor, an everyday citizen, not clearly a, a school teachers. How did that mentality, how do we go from the shall not abridge mentality, which is our founding fathers, to, hey, we'll conspire with Twitter next week to shut down so-and-so because we don't like him, Alex Berenson, New York Times reporter. I would say because, look, left-wing ideology always ends in totalitarianism. I mean, there's literally never been an, ex, uh, an exception in human history. Uh, Jonah Goldberg many years ago wrote a great book called Liberal Fascism. I still highly recommend it. I disagree with a lot of stuff Jonah says now, but it's a great book. And this is liberalism, no matter what. This is a truism. Always continues its leftward slide until it becomes totalitarianism. And in this case, totalitarianism means you can't disagree with the state position. And so they know they have the First Amendment to deal with. So the federal government works through these private companies that are aligned with them politically anyway and silences speech. And I got to tell you, I'm really there's an organization I got to point out, not my own. America First Legal, Stephen Miller doing incredible work on. We just had John Zajazny and he's doing a lot of the great work there. It's really doing epic legal work, isn't it? I mean, in my opinion, the most bold legal work and, and full disclosure, my son just graduated from George Mason Law School and he's working there. So there's there's my bias for a young. But I just think they're doing extraordinary work and they're calling this stuff out and they're the ones that got a hold of the emails that prove this stuff. Ultimately, I, what I'm hoping we see is a new sort of cutting edge First Amendment litigation holding the government responsible for utilizing private entities to suppress free speech. It's almost numbing to think about that way. And if we don't have a legal front right now, we don't have any defense because the political defenses aren't working, right? The Republicans have been unable to have any traction. It's really been the courts have been the only place where some of the core principles of freedom have been preserved over the last few years. I want to ask about an agency that, you know, as you got into politics, you were so instrumental in the founding of the Tea Party movement. The IRS, Lois Lerner, we went through that whole episode and a decade later... They want to hire 87,000 agents, put $80 billion more a year in it. It's clear that middle class and working class are going to be the primary target of that new infrastructure. What is middle America's response going to be to this new new law that is wrongly called the Inflation Reduction Act? <laughs> Not even close. I'm sorry for laughing, but I mean, they now admit, you know, they, 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 do. Yeah. Is they admit it has nothing to do with inflation. Yep. This is one of the most extraordinary things I've ever seen, because to me, that's a campaign gift to Republicans, because I just don't think it plays well with anybody anywhere. The idea of, hey, we're going to hire 87,000 more IRS agents. There's nobody in America except for IRS agents that like the IRS. It is the most feared agency in the United States of America. When you see that envelope arrive in your mailbox and it has IRS on it, nobody's generally happy to see that. And so I just I don't think this plays well. For Democrats, and I think if Republicans are wise, they're going to use the heck out of it, and it's going to help them win this red wave. You know, everyone I've talked to said this could be one of the biggest issues that is not being measured right now by traditional politicians. The Mar-a-Lago raid will get the Republican base together, but I think the IRS one goes far, far deeper into independence. And quite frankly, I think even centrist or slightly center-left Americans, it seems it has an elasticity that we haven't seen in a very long time. Maybe the um, Obamacare fight, which gave rise to a lot of what the Tea Party did, but yep. this is a really potent issue, isn't it? It really is a potent issue. And, you know, you were mentioning earlier, we do all this polling. We try to get out in front of everybody else. And 
I actually just authorized, we have a poll in the field right now about this issue of hiring 87,000 IRS agents. And my expectation from being on the phone with and in communication with grassroots all over the country is people are really unhappy about it and that it is not going to play well for Democrats come November. Now, the Convention of the States has achieved an extraordinary amount of success. You're about, what, two-thirds of the way there, right? Yeah, we just uh, passed the 19th state, so that's 19 out of 34 required states, so we're well on our way. And I, I would say right now, the biggest measure of our success is in the last, say, three weeks, John, we've been just radically and repeatedly attacked by the liberal media. There was a hit piece by Business Insider, uh, that was followed a couple of weeks later by a hit piece by Associated Press. They didn't like that we're engaged in state-level elections, raising money, fighting this fight all over the country. It was on MSNBC. I saw it on PBS yesterday. So the left is uniting against the idea of convention of states because they don't like the idea of taking power away from D.C. and giving it back to the people. Yeah. By the way, this was a founding father's idea. Rejecting this is rejecting actually one of the ideas that the founding fathers gave us as a remedy beyond the 19 that have already ratified this. There's about another 10 or 20 states that are currently considering resolutions, right? So you, you've got a lot of things going on around this country right now to get that final, what do you need, 15 more, right? Yep. Yeah, we're very close. And here's the best way to measure it, in my opinion, is Mostly this is going to be Republican-led states. There are currently 31 states with both houses controlled by Republicans. There are two split uh, states. One is Minnesota. I think we're going to flip Minnesota here in this cycle in November. Sure. And so that'll be number 32 out of 34 states. I actually think there's – people aren't talking about this much. I think Maine is in play. I think we could see both houses in Maine flip. Wow. You have a gubernatorial candidate, Paul LePage, who has been governor before. He's definitely a right-wing guy, and he's looking good. Yeah, and he's got a little bit of that Trump sort of bravado. He does. He calls things like he sees him. There's no, you don't have to sugarcoat <laughs> anything when it comes to him. Yep, he's a controversial guy, but the fact that he got the nomination again and his numbers look good. Uh, and then I would say in 23, what you're looking at is Virginia. They have a one-seat margin, the Democrats, in the Senate. We flipped the House of Delegates in this last cycle. By the way, the last race in the House of Delegates to be called was a recount, and it was won by the Republicans by 115 votes. That was a district captain for Convention of States, her first time running for political office. No kidding. I didn't know that. Yep. Yeah, there were 150 volunteers in her district. They made over 1,200 calls to low propensity voters, and she won by 115 votes. Amazing. So we're going to continue to play there in Virginia. I expect to see Virginia flip, and that would bring us to the necessary 34 states to call the convention. Pretty remarkable. It really is. And what's interesting about it is it clearly has a defined purpose, right? The purpose is to get the ratification in states, but it really has created a larger conversation in America that we've drifted away from what our founding fathers and quite frankly, most of the generations before us embraced and enjoyed and revered about America. The last couple of generations seem to have drifted so far away, Republican and Democrat alike, from so many of our ideals. Do you feel like this has brought a much larger movement? It isn't just about getting the convention. It's about reinventing America to the way it was, sort of a back to the future strategy. It seems like you're a lot more issues than just the convention are now caught in this enthusiasm. Yeah, I think you've nailed it. And this is a restoration of the constitutional system of governance that the founders intended. And if you look at what's going on in Convention of States, we participated in over 250 elections in one way or another back in 2020. 
We'll do over 450 in this cycle. We're in school board elections, state legislative elections. So these folks are involved all over the country at every level. They're involved in legislation in all of their states. There are literally hundreds of convention of states uh, uh, meetings all over the country that have taken place this year. So the movement is growing every single day. And I expect that it's going to have a tremendous impact on politics in America. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. You can feel it. I mean, you're, what, 5 million, 6 million strong now? About 5.3 million right now. Wow. It's just amazing to think in, in less than a decade, not only all the states that have ratified, but the fact that so many people are now involved and engaged in communicating, getting your polling, getting your messaging. It is probably one of the largest grassroots movement I've seen in my 30-year career as a journalist. Your prediction for the fall. So right now, I think the conventional wisdom in Washington, which is worth what you pay for it, which is nothing. House goes Republican, Senate stays Democrat. What's your gut tell you? I mean, you were closer to the real grassroots warriors in the states. What do you think happens in this election? Yeah, I think the House goes Republican. And I think with what's going on uh, post Mar-a-Lago raid with this 87,000 IRS agents, there is a chance that we could pick up some of the Senate seats that I think have been put at risk for Republicans because of bad choices in the primaries. I think they could get swept across the line by the wave that's coming. So I'd give us a 50-50 chance on the Senate and a pretty solid, sure shot on the House. You mentioned Minnesota as perhaps the next state. That's really interesting. I've heard a lot of interesting people, people focusing on Minnesota. Nevada seems vulnerable in the Senate, Arizona. And then the other day, some pollsters told me, came to me, said, keep an eye on the Colorado Senate race. Michael Bennett is not a sure thing. Are those states where you're seeing some maybe below the radar shifts in sentiment? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. In fact, uh, you know, we're working pretty hard there ourselves in Colorado, especially. We're making a significant commitment there. Our grassroots are involved. I expect that we're going to see one of the houses, uh, I think it's the Senate, in the Colorado legislature flip. And that's going to flip to Republican is, is my belief. I think they have a very good shot to do that. In Minnesota, we only need four seats to flip the legislature there. Uh, so that pickup is going to happen. I think there are probably somewhere between nine and 13 seats in play. So and one of the things that I pay attention to that most national observers don't is what's going on in the state legislatures. Since the days of the Tea Party, I'd have to look up the most recent number, but I know we're over 1,300 seats gained to Republicans since the Tea Party days. So the states are moving in the right direction, except for those that are very blue. The rest of the states are all moving in the right direction. And that's where political change comes from in America. It does. Yeah, it's the best barometer of where our country is going. The state legislative races always tell us. I mean, so the great political reporters of the past, they knew, keep your thermometer in that temperature pool because that's where you're going to see the change. And uh, you clearly affected a lot of that. Mark, it's always a pleasure to have you on. What's the best way for people to stay in uh, touch with all the great work you're doing at the Convention of States? Yep, go to conventionofstates.com, sign the petition. If you're interested in what we're doing, click the Take Action tab and get involved. Because it's not just you and me, John. It's up to our listeners to help save the country. Yeah, and you've got a cool pocket guide, too. It's right up there with the Constitution pocket guide. I love it. It's a good, fun thing to download for people who don't maybe know what the convention's all about. So bravo for that as well. Mark, we're going to get you on soon again because there's a lot of politics to play out over the next three months. It's going to be fun. Thank you so much for your time. God bless you, my friend. Thanks for having me. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after this. 
Hey folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title in your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time. Go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner. Whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite, you and your family need to be prepared. That's what we learned from this last pandemic, right? That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their great doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough on all the time on our shows. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. And the new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy, and most importantly, prepared. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all of these life-saving medications. So you know what you're doing. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even the bioweapon like the plague, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to keep you and your family safe from whatever the globalists throw your way. Go to www.twchealth/justnews today in order. That's twc.health/justnews and use the promo code justnews to save 10%. A year ago this month, America withdrew after a 20-year war in Afghanistan. We drew in such a, withdrew in such a way that there are long-term global repercussions. And uh, a lot of us have questions. Did we do the right thing? Did we do it the right way? And more importantly, how safe will we be as we go forward? And tonight, we have the perfect first guest. He was the acting Secretary of Defense who handed the Biden administration a real plan for how we could exit without losing our security, uh, and he joins us right now, Christopher Miller. Sec- Mr. Secretary, great to have you here, sir. John, thanks a ton for having me back on. I can't believe it's been a year. It was the first time you invited me on your show, right. and uh, I never I never thought I'd be on your show again, to tell you the truth, after that event. But uh, I'm really, really just glad that you and Amanda continue to pay attention to this issue. You know, I got to tell you, it's been amazing to see Americans and veterans and and Afghans and other people come together to help out those that have been left behind. But let's be clear, there's still Americans that are carrying a blue passport that are behind enemy lines that we need to get out. And thanks for highlighting this and taking a few moments to make sure the American people know what's going on. Yeah, it's so important. I want to ask you about that because we get this rosy picture from the official spokespeople. Anyone who wanted to get out 
got out? And the answer is, I talked to a lot of people who don't want to be there and they aren't out. Do you have a sense of the number of people that are either American or who helped America so greatly that they're warranted to get out with the help of the U.S. government? What's the size and scope of the people we've left behind? I can't tell you exactly. I know it's in the tens of thousands. What's interesting, John, you know, we have a, we have a great country and people that think there's injustice being done, even those within the government have a way of making sure the rest of us know what's going on. And I know for a fact the State Department has very accurate records of who is still behind enemy lines. Uh, you know, what's amazing, though, is there's still every week. Uh, I, I know you get hit up regularly. I get uh text, phone calls, or emails every week yeah. from people that are representing someone who's still behind enemy lines in Afghanistan. And there are people doing great work. Uh, so I don't know the exact number. I, I think that typically what you hear is about 75,000. That's a heck of a lot of people. You know, John and Amanda, it used to be if you had a blue passport that said the United States of America on it, or if you had helped us in our wars, and right now that's the special, those that have applied for special immigrant visas, we did something to help you out. And what I'm finding is still just a whole bunch of talk and not a bunch of action. You see some things come out like, oh, we have a new program or whatnot, but uh, that's not really relevant because the people that are still trying to help their family and friends get out uh, are not accessing those. And I'm not seeing a lot of movement. Mm. Wow. Tens of thousands. Yeah. And, and Mr. Secretary, you're absolutely right. We have to stay on top of these types of things. And there, there is movement happening on Capitol Hill. Republicans on the House Foreign Affairs Committee just uh, released this uh, over 100 page report on the withdrawal from Afghanistan. But as far as the debacle, the Americans who were killed uh, during this and, and the Americans who are left over there, there hasn't been anyone who has been held accountable for such a disaster. Is Does that seem right to you? Would this have happened under the Trump administration? I mean, I think that's a great point. And I can say definitively it would not have happened when I was uh, acting secretary of defense. Yet you and your viewers need to understand how the military works. The military, the people that are down in the trenches that are doing the day to day fighting and the day to day work. There's a thing called the after action review process. And it, we're, we're, what happens is people talk through what they did right and what they did wrong. And what helps out of that lessons are. And I know that there's been an effort by the Department of Defense to do that, put together a series of lessons learned, because this is really important. This isn't just a paper. So young people that are entering the service, the way you learn not to make mistakes from the past is by reading about the mistakes that have happened previously. It's really, really powerful uh, process that they use. I know that there is a report that is awaiting signature by Secretary Austin. He's the Secretary of Defense. And I, what I understand is it has been kicked back down uh, to those that wrote it because of some sort of concern that it, I don't know exactly what the concerns are, but I can't tell you, you know, lessons learned and after action reviews save lives. And we're not seeing that right now. And uh, General Milley, he's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. When he was the secretary of the Army, that's the senior ranking Army officer. I know he had some issues with uh, the lessons learned that came out of Iraq, and it took a while to release those. So I'm really hopeful that they do the right thing because this is about our country. And, you know, I I'm talking too much, I know, but, you know, I was trained. I came in the Army in 1983. And I was trained by Vietnam veterans and they all said never again. I never thought it would happen again in our lifetime. And of course, I was part of the part of the loss of the war in Afghanistan. So we have to get those lessons learned out to the force and to the American people so that we don't do this again.
Yeah. Are you concerned that maybe there's some politics going on trying to color this report when really the raw conclusions are what are going to make the military the strongest? You can only suspect that that's the case, John. I'm trying to be uh, cup is half full as opposed to cup cup is half empty. But you can't. Uh, you talk about being in the swamp. I'm just south of the swamp, so I kind of get sucked in. I have to drive in here in a few minutes. But uh, yeah, I, I have to think that there's probably some concern that it doesn't paint the rosy picture that the Biden administration has said. And uh, Amanda, you brought up Congressman McCall's uh, efforts and. That's really important. And I think we're just getting started. But it's it's not about political finger pointing. It's about accountability. It's about learning lessons so we don't do this again. And we just can't, we just, we just can't afford as a country to, to make the same mistakes. I wanted to ask you, Mr. Secretary, in, in a general sense, you know, you, ha- you brought up General Mark Milley. Um, and I remember his comments about white rage. And you see the military moving into this place where they are uh, becoming more woke and recruitment is down as far re- Whatever the foreign policy is, whether it's, you know, disaster in Afghanistan, but now you've got the this administration waffling on foreign policy as it relates to one China policy. And it seems like there is a lot of mixed messaging on the world stage. But uh, regardless of that, as far as military readiness on a scale of one to 10, where do you think we are right now? I have enormous confidence in our men and women that serve our great country down in the trenches. I got to tell you, this sounds so cliche, but leadership matters. You brought up the issues with recruiting, and there seems to be the starting of a break of trust between those that serve and the leaders that represent them and are supposed to, uh, you know, be the role model for them. And when we see these activities, like the point I made about the uh the lessons learned and the after action review being suppressed, that's kind of, that's a, it sounds kind of mild and insignificant, but it's a really significant issue because that's the way uh, our fighting men and women are trained and raised to expect accountability. And when we, we avoid that. So I think it all comes together. I think what we're seeing is like this convergence of a lot of different things. And it's, it's troubling to me because we just, at the end of the day, we just need good, character-filled, you know, ethical leadership. And I think that's what we need to get back to. And I'm concerned right now that we're not seeing it in the way that uh, we should expect. Yeah, I think that's all Americans have ever asked of our military. And we've had it almost always that way, but the last couple of years, I have a lot of people guessing that. Uh, We've got about a minute left, so I want to ask you about this. We're almost two years into the Biden administration. There has not been a formal publication of the national security strategy that's required by the law. What's going on that keeps the Biden administration from giving us an honest answer what their strategy is. I'd love to know. I know they put out an interim kind of thing, right. but that's not a national security strategy. And you you all understand the importance of this. This is how we knit together the entire United States government to make sure that we understand priorities. And uh, I got it. You know, it's going to sound petty, but. Uh, if the Trump administration failed to put out a national security strategy and a national military strategy almost two years into the administration, it would have been uh, on the, the front page of the New York Times. Absolutely. And you don't see that. Hey, I just want to give a shout out. I, you know, I, I, I sometimes get a little negative on things, but I'm really, really uh, motivated by what I see with our military and American citizens coming together. And hey, if, if I can be so bold. Project Dynamo is doing great work and still getting people out of they Afghanistan. Are. And uh, if you can, give a shout out to Brian Stern and his crew. They're, they're not getting any funding from the government. They're doing it all on their own. 
Americans. Yeah. Well, Mr. Secretary, we are greatly honored you're on the show. And I know something I got on my calendar for 2023, the new book, Soldier Secretary. Chris Miller is going to have that out next year. Mr. Secretary, thanks for joining us. Folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. All right, folks. Welcome back for the commercial break. What a great show. Big thanks to Chris Miller, former acting defense secretary Chris Miller. Thanks for his service, first of all, because... He was on the front lines of both of the invasions of Afghanistan and Iraq, a man who saw a lot of combat action, also served his country in the civilian world, was the acting defense secretary. I thought what he said about the after-action reports, it's going to stick with me for a long time, just like the testimony of General Kenneth McKenzie should stick with all of us. It was a mistake. That's what the military commanders said about the strategy that Joe Biden's administration implemented. It's not what you hear in the media every day, but it is the truth of what the military is saying. And I think it's so important that we keep all of that in mind today. All right. And also, a big thanks to Mark Meckler. A lot of exciting things going on in the Convention of the States. And we know that beyond exercising something that's in the Constitution, which is always exciting, the level of grassroots enthusiasm, engagement, people talking and, and getting involved, it's very impressive what Mark has done. And, you know, there was the Tea Party movement and there was the Trump movement. The Convention of the States in many ways brings those two movements together in a really interesting effort to say it's time to shrink government. It's time to take back the power to we the people from they, the bureaucrats. And every day we're reminded of that with the IRS, the FBI, the failures of the CDC, name and alphabet soup, CDC, FDA, NIH, IRS, FBI, all of those just in the last one. Think about what we learned just about those five alphabet soup monstrous bureaucracies. Each of them, each of them has left us down. There are agents who have lied. There are IRS agents that are ramping up and targeting the most vulnerable of earners in America. Remember the story that my good colleague Aaron Kliegman did. Uh, most of the audits, according to Syracuse University's Track Center, that were done in the last couple of years have done to people below $25,000. Wait a second. Why? That's like squeezing blood out of a rock. A lot of people can't answer the question. I don't know. And you, by the way, the GAO found the same thing. And the GAO added something important, which is audits of millionaires have been going down. So audits of poor working poor going up, audits of millionaires going down. Joe Biden, is that the middle class Joe that we used to be talking about? I don't know. You, you decide. But those are facts you can take to the bank. All right. Before we go today, you know, I like to shout out each and every one of our 
great sponsors, our great participants, our great players. They all support us. We've got partners, advertisers, sponsors. They have great services, great products. And by the way, I want to remind you of this. It's their support that makes this show, makes the television show, makes the Just a New Site, the brand new video exchange we're going to be announcing in a couple of weeks called Just the Views. We've got all of that coming up real quickly. But again, if you are one of those folks that are support of what we do and you want to say thank you to the people who make it possible you know what just go and check out these great advertisers these great sponsors these great partners go check their products out take advantage of some of the incredible special offers and as you know one of the things that i've been warning about with the guests that we brought on it's actually the guests that are warning about it i'm just lucky enough to interview them is the worldwide farming crisis that is on the horizon quite frankly already playing out the breadbasket of europe ukraine greatly constrained by the war. Large cost increases in fuel has made fertilizer a lot more expensive. There have been drought and difficult climate and weather conditions this year in some of the most important growing areas of the world, the Midwest included. There is going to be, on top of inflation, on top of high gas prices, on top of a slowing or stalling economy, what we call stagflation, there's going to be problems in the global food supply. Every person that we brought on, Democrat, Republican, independent, analyst, economist, they all are warning of this. And so we have good friends, good partners at My Patriot Supply. You know what? Insulate yourself from any fear. Don't get caught flat-footed. Go get yourself a prudent supply of emergency food. That's not bad. You know what? At least four weeks of food for each member of your family will make you secure. And it's easy to do that. My good friends at My Patriot Supply have arranged for us, anyone in this family, in the Justin News family, John Solomon Reports family, to save 50 bucks on a four-week emergency food kit. That's a good day saving. You're not going to get 50 bucks off at the grocery store. I'll tell you that. I went there the other day. Like, holy mackerel. When did meat get this expensive? Why is the cereal so much? What's wrong with the coffee? So here's what you do. They've made this easy. And that's what I love about My Patriot Supply. They've created... My own URL. I have a web URL for the first time in my life. It's called Prepare with Solomon, S-O-L-O-M-O-N, preparewithsolomon.com. You go there, you're going to get a four-week emergency food kit for just $50. This kit contains enough meals for four solid weeks per person, more than 2,000 calories a day. By the way, that's the recommended level for sustainable energy. Find this special offer at preparewithsolomon.com. Go there today. It's really exciting. Do it before it's too late. Take the worry out. You know what? If there is a global food crisis, you and your family aren't going to have to worry about it because you'll have been prepared by my good friends and my Patriot Supply. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition and actually a full work week of John Solomon Reports. I'm really grateful that you joined us. Great guests all weekend long. Very excited. I want to give you a little hint of what's coming up this weekend. We've got two days of work ahead of us. Yep, we're going to have a Saturday show and a Sunday show. Saturday show is fun. Art Laffer, the economist behind Ronald Reagan and then behind a lot of what Donald Trump did in the last four years of his presidency. He's joining us to talk about the state of the economy, what to make of things, the workforce, Is 500,000 workers good or bad? He's going to bring us inside those numbers. And then I want to introduce you to two extraordinary candidates. We have this candidate initiative where we're trying to introduce you to new people on the front lines. Scotty Moore is running for Central Florida in the Orlando area for a seat currently held by a Democrat. He is gaining a lot of traction, likely to win the nomination next week in Florida's primary. Scotty Moore is joining us. And then Irene Amadurese Jackson. Irene Emmerdees Jackson. She is the wife of a CPB agent 
She is an outspoken Hispanic, proud American, and she is running for a seat in Texas, currently held by Democrats on the border. A lot of people think that's going to flip red, and Irene is the woman that's going to flip it. You're going to get to meet Scotty and Irene, two people jumping into politics, trying to help their country, two exciting candidates, a lot of excitement about both of these candidates in the current Republican Party conservative movement. And of course, who doesn't want to spend some time with Art Laffer, a man who sat alongside of Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump, one of the most energetic, exciting, and interesting economists. Nothing boring about his economy lessons, I'll tell you. Tune in tomorrow. That's going to be a really great interview. We're going to be really excited about it. And then on Sunday, we're going to take the best of the television show for the last week. And we've got some great folks Congressman Comer, Congressman Nels, Paul Manafort, our exclusive interview with Paul Manafort, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, one of the guys that was right about COVID and proved Fauci wrong, and finally, Tim Stewart, the great head of the U.S. Oil and Gas Association. He's going to tell you what's ahead. Uh, He's got some bad news. I know gas prices are coming down now, but you know why? It's because demand went down. People just stopped driving or driving less. Tim tells us, I believe, in the interview that he's going to tell us that there is on the horizon another gas price spike and some other things to worry about around the world, including fuel shortages in Eastern Europe. we got to keep an eye on that. Two great shows all weekend long. we got you covered. If you're out in the deck, if you're out mowing, if you're having a drink because you pulled the wine out of your wine enthusiast refrigerator, guess what? We're going to have you covered all weekend long with those are seven, eight, eight interviews you're going to get over the weekend exclusively from John Solomon Reports. All right, folks, that wraps it up. Have a great weekend. God bless you. God bless this incredible country, the United States. I'll be back with you on Monday. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events. And you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. Hey there, it's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, expert politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey.